You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! Unbelievable! Just flew by him for a second time. Tua knew where he was going right away. How the hit is that, little man? I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. To a shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown. Okay. It's Waddle. His sixth touchdown Six pass touchdown of the day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, it is a football Friday. We'll answer your questions on the Twitter mailbag. We'll hear from Dolphins assistant coaches, take a look at the college football landscape, and welcome in a friend of the pod, a repeat guest, to give us perspective from Northern Jersey. From the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex, this is the Drive Time Podcast. Let's not waste any time today and go ahead and get right to my interview with the New York Daily News' Antoine Staley. And joining me now is a writer for the New York Daily News. He used to be on our beat down here in South Florida, an overall fantastic human being, Antoine Staley. Antoine, welcome back in, man. How you been? I'm good, man. It's so great to be back talking football with you, man. So, yeah, I'm happy to be with you. Is the reason you took the job on the Jets beat so you can get back on the Drive Time podcast? Be honest with us. Oh, yeah, definitely. For <laughs> sure, man. Yeah, I definitely enjoy it. Every time I get a chance to talk to you, man, it's always a blessing and a good big deal. So, my, absolutely. <laughs> my, my man, I appreciate that. You know, I, I saw the video of the, the Bills coming down uh, – a1A there in the elbow room. And every time I think of the yeah. elbow room, I think about you going out that one night back in like 2018 or whatever it was uh, when I was down here for my first Dolphins game to cover. So the elbow room, man, sometime we'll have to recreate that night, maybe in week 18 this year. Maybe week 18 this oh, year. Oh, yeah, definitely for sure. Yeah, I'll be down there. I'm, I'm going to try to go to the Dolphins practice that Friday too. So oh, very yeah, cool. I'll definitely be, yeah, I'll be down there. So we'll definitely link up. Yeah, I'll, I'll be excited to show you around the uh, the media room here in, in our new building that you haven't seen yet, I'm sure. So that's I have not. Look, looking forward to that, man. Yeah, a little better than Davey, a little bit better than Davey. So <laughs> let's <laughs> let's go ahead and crack into this Dolphins and Jets game coming up on Sunday. And, you know, you've had a chance to cover this rivalry from the other side, and so I knew I had to get you on. And I always start these Friday podcasts. It's my opponent perspective, my Jets perspective. This week, I always begin at the quarterback position because well, that's the most interesting position on the field, right? And I'm curious yeah. to know about Zach Wilson in general in year two, but also a little more specific because we talked about this in DMs. What do you think changed for him in that fourth quarter last week where he turned it on and really played well in that last quarter of that game? Well, I think it's a few things there. One, I think the Steelers' defense didn't pressure as much because I feel like the first quarter, Zach Wilson did a really good job. I mean, they, they went down and scored some points. Second and third quarter was not really, you know, pedestrian and not very good to say the least there he really struggled with command and accuracy there but the fourth quarter uh, I felt like the Steelers kind of decided not to bring as much pressure and that allowed him to make a lot of you know sound and smart decisions and maybe get the ball to Corey Davis and Garrett Wilson and they ran the ball pretty effectively there to Brees Hall and Michael Carter so yeah I definitely think that allowed him to just kind of you know take a deep breath and just say you know what let me just not, you know, force the ball into coverage. And I definitely think that's what he did. He finished 10 or 12, threw a touchdown pass. 
And that was really, you know, the statement game for him early on in his career. Like I say, like you said, it's in year two, you know, he came back. This is his first game starting back, um, coming back from injury. But I think it's a good start for him, especially considering they came out with a win. A great podcaster always takes the host into the next segment, which you just did right there. So we're one for one, my good friend. You talked about pressure uh, for Zach Wilson. You know, this offensive line's awfully banged up right now. Just want to get your take on what we're looking at from an O-line perspective. I know Dwayne Brown could be back. Elijah Vera Tucker appears to be capable of playing anywhere. Maybe he can play receiver too. Who knows? It's He's a hell of a football player. Uh, I had a hard time previewing this position on my preview podcast because I just don't know what it's going to look like. But I guess what I want to know is how do they respond on Sunday, in your opinion, to all that shuffling up front? I thought they did a really good job considering the circumstances. I mean, nobody knew Elijah Vera Tucker was going to play left tackle. I mean, we kind of saw it in pregame that we, he thought we might do that. But when the game, you know, they first, their first drive, offensive drive, we were like, wow, he's out there starting left tackle. He did a really tremendous job. I mean, we talked to Elijah yesterday uh, on Wednesday, and he talked about how he feels like he can play any position on the offensive line. He's never played center before. He's never played right tackle. But he feels like if he can, you know, if he needed to play those positions, he could. And that's what he told the Jets and some other teams through the pre-draft process. And, you know, there's something to think about, at least for the Jets' perspective, for the future, maybe not necessarily this game, but you know, you're gonna need a left tackle at some point. George Fan is gonna be a free agent after this season. Dwayne Brown is thirty seven years old. You know, if Vera Tucker plays like how he did against the Steelers, I mean it might not be the worst idea to put him at left tackle and just try to figure out some other solutions there at the guard position. That's a good point. I didn't even consider that because, I mean, obviously you move out to that more premium position. That's that's a big boon for them, especially if he plays like he did in that game. Like you mentioned there, Antoine Staley, New York Daily News here. You can find him on Twitter, at Antoine Staley. Let's go ahead and go to the other side of the football here. And I said this last year when they landed Carl Lawson, that he was one of the biggest off-season gets they've had in some time. And then, of course, he has the injury and was really bad luck. And I, I hate seeing that, even for a rival, obviously. You don't want to see anybody get hurt. Uh, yeah. But he's back and playing well. But just tell us about that front seven. Who pops out to you the most? And how does kind of Robert Sala's system benefit the skill sets of the players they have up there? Well, I think their front four, really, their defensive line is the strength of their team. I mean, Quentin Williams has been just kind of a man immense boys. I know a lot of people <laughs> talked about his blow up on the sideline with the uh, defensive coach Aaron White Cotton a couple of weeks ago during the Bengals game. But since that point, I mean, he's been <laughs> he's been playing just with a reckless abandon. I mean, he, he ended up having a sack there against the Bengals there, created a lot of pressure on Joe Burrow, and then he kind of carried that over in the game against the Pittsburgh Steelers, whether it be Kenny Pickett or Mitch Trubisky, whoever was back there, he was creating really big pressure there, whether it be in the running game or also the passing game. But, yeah, I think uh, when you start to talk about their front four, it starts with Quentin Williams. And Carl Lawson, I definitely think he is uh, starting to play better. I know he had the Achilles injury last year. He started out a little bit slow, as did the Jets defensive line, too, as well. They weren't able to generate the amount of sets that they would like. But I feel like this was kind of a bit of their coming out party, too, as well. Not to say, I mean, still his offense a lot isn't, you know, the greatest in the world. But just to have that confidence booster, especially in a game like this against the Dolphins, a really key opponent, especially with the Dolphins offensive line playing a lot better. I think this will help them in a game like this. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that matchup he has inside with Robert Hunt and and uh, <clears throat> Connor Williams and Liam Eikenberg on this Dolphins interior. And, and, and he's been one of my favorite players uh, pretty much since that press conference back at Alabama when he's talking about Kyler Murray and he, he oh, stopped yeah. himself mid-sentence. He's just a fun guy, man. He's, he's fun to watch both play.
play and just the way he conducts himself and has a fun uh, time out there. Um, we finish up here in the secondary, Antoine, and kind of a, re- a revamped group here this year, right? I mean, Sauce Gardner, that was the number four, uh, four pick in the draft. Uh, yes. uh, Jordan Whitehead, LaMarcus Joyner playing much more than he did last year. Uh, pretty good returns back in that defensive backfield so far this year, right? Yeah, don't talk, don't forget about DJ Reed. I think he's definitely been a uh, huge addition for him as well. Yeah, well, that's what I'm here for, man. Exactly. <laughs> but I think uh, having DJ Reed along with Sauce Gardner as a him to I think maturate at a really high high level. I mean, Sauce is playing. I I would never I would say venture to say those two are already one of the best two cornerback tandems in football right now. At least you look at the metrics and what they've been able to do in these first four games. Obviously. This week is going to come with a whole completely different test. And, you know, I wrote about this, too, as well. But, yeah, I mean, Sauce is, you know, anytime you have a rookie quarterback, you you think they're going to automatically struggle in the league just because of the speed of the game. That's not been the case with Sauce going. I mean, to be able to, you know, kind of contain Jamar Chase, who one of the better wide receivers in the game, the way that he did, too, as well. And some of the, and they even put him on Mark Andrews uh, yeah. the first game against the Ravens. I think I thought that was really remarkable. That was his first game playing, and they put him, you know, Lamar Jackson's favorite target. So that says a lot about what they think he's at at this point. Not to mention one of the best tight ends in the league, maybe the best. I mean, the way he's playing yeah. right right now, that team is rolling. But yeah, he was. He, he's he's been so impressive so far. He was a big part of my uh, my preview podcast talking about what he can do for that defensive backfield. Antoine, good stuff so far. I have two more to ask you here, just kind of quick hitters. I'll let you get out to practice. I know you're, you're kind of fitting us in here, so we appreciate that. But um, I ask this every week to my uh, my opponent perspective guest, is the Dolphins will win if and the Jets will win if? If the Dolphins can get pressure on Zach Wilson, that's basically what it boils down to. If they can, you know, generate consistent pressure on him and force him to make mistakes, kind of what we saw early on in that game against the Steelers, then I like, I like the Dolphins to be able to pull out the win there. But yeah, I feel like if the Jets, if you know, as far as the Jets, if they, I feel like they win if they're able to protect Zach Wilson, be able to run the football, and also, you know, be able to stop the run. I feel like the Dolphins are gonna, you know, commit a little bit more to the run this week. Although I know it's lots, it's sexy to talk about Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill just simply because you have so so many speed burners out there at the receiver position. But as Robert Sala talked about earlier this week, Mike Bedayo loves to run the football. That is just, you know, the his strength and. Just kind of, you know, it's bread and butter. And I definitely think when you have a guy like Teddy Bridgewater in there, you kind of want to take some pressure off him. And what's the better way to do that is, you know, run the ball a little bit more effectively. So I imagine they will do that, especially considering the Jets had some issues with that last week. I'm really curious to see how this, uh, you know, McDaniel versus Salah, you know, rivalry pr- plays out here because they're so familiar with one another. So, like, you know, McDaniel's so good at creative, uh, creating creative running games, and Salah has been a big part of some good defenses. So a fun matchup to watch. He's Antoine Staley, reporter and columnist at the New York Daily News. You can follow him on Twitter, at Antoine Staley. That's how you know he signed up in the early days, getting that the straight name in there on the at. Uh, am I missing anything here, my friend? Anything else you want to promote here on the podcast? No, you just follow me at Antoine Staley. You follow my uh, work at the New York Daily News. That's really about it, man. It's just, you know, playing yourself. Perfect. Well, thanks again, sir. We'll see you down here week 18. Enjoy the game. And are you going to get out there at the MetLife Takeover and kind of mingle with some Dolphins fans? Of course. Of course. Yeah, I, look, I, here's the thing. Like, And I'm covering the Jets now, but I am so, you know, I, I'm so happy, you know, with, with the support the Dolphin fans have given me sure. throughout the years. So, yeah, I mean, I, I will always be, there will always be a part of me. Hell, I got a Dolphins 
football in my house. <laughs> just from <laughs> when Jason Jenkins, uh, rest in peace to hell, That's obviously right. a sad situation there. But, you know, he gave me a football uh, at the day that I stopped covering the Dolphins oh, my last man. day. So I'll always be, you know, indebted to Dolphin fans and, you know, Dolphins Nation and everybody. So, yeah, not only will I be at the takeover, there's a party at Slattery, so Saturday night yep. I'll be there too as well. So, yeah, it's kind of like a bit of a homecoming for me. Yeah, like, I love is. when my two worlds <laughs> come together. Uh, I'm really glad you shared that Jason story, man. That's that's exactly who he was, what he did, and it's just uh, I, I had no surprise about that. And it speaks a lot about your character, my friend, that you're able to go to the Jets beat and Dolphins fans still like you. That's, that's pretty hard to do, my friend. So good on you. Like I said, we'll see you down here week 18. Enjoy the game on Sunday, man. Thank you. Yeah, man, when I tell you that Antoine is universally loved by Dolphins Nation, I know a lot of you guys know him out there already, but there are like firsthand accounts from fans all over this fan base that can tell you about a time that Antoine helped them with, you know, access to training camp or where to go, where to park, something at the stadium. Just an all around great dude. Happy to have him back on the podcast here and looking forward to seeing him when the Jets come down here in January. Let's go ahead and take our first break and come back on the other side and hear from Dolphins assistant coaches. I have sound from Josh Boyer, Danny Crossman, Frank Smith, and Austin Clark. That's next. Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all, but here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have hair plugs? I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. Okay, so you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs. Yeah, like check out these hair plugs. I mean, don't just walk around, hey, tapping, <laughs> hey, hey, stranger, I don't want you thinking this is natural. You know, but I mean, <laughs> do you, you have to do that with everyone you meet? try to act like they, uh, you know what I mean. Yeah. But I mean, like, like John Cena got him. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot, and now he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You think he should be required in all interviews to say, "Look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot." Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or like put a sign in your yard, but all right. So, what about toupees? Those are the most obvious. I but let's like. say you're like Bill Self, and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Segment number two on a Friday. We pick it back up here on the Drive Time Podcast with defensive coordinator Josh Boyer, who was asked about how dealing with injuries at a position group might impact the way you game plan. But Coach Boyer had a very clear message about week-by-week game plans. Here he is talking about, well, just that. Ultimately, it comes down to putting the guys in the best position to succeed. And I think, uh, you know, regardless of it, it's a guy that's been a veteran guy or a guy that has had little uh, playing time. You really want to put them in spots that you that they can succeed, um, knowing full well that you know where you put all eleven guys, it affects everybody. And um, so if you if you move uh, the focus to you know maybe compensate for something else, it's going to take away from something else. So, I mean, I, I think ultimately there's so many variables that go into it. One, the particular uh, players that you're using, and two, the offense that you're facing. So I, I think all of those things, you know, go into it. Uh, it's not, 
you know, I mean, and, you know, just over the NFL and the course of the season, like you're very accustomed and used to guys being in and out. So, and you kind of understand that even when you're in OTAs, I doubt that there is a team that goes wire to wire that all 11 starters, whether it's on offense or defense goes. So I think we're very accustomed to, um, you know, guys being in and out. And that's why like, even the guys that aren't playing, you, you know, they need to prepare mentally and you give them as many reps as you possibly can, um, but they need to prepare mentally like they're going to play in the game anyway. Some really good uh, topical, I almost forgot that word, topical. Some really good topical content today. We're going to go next to offensive coordinator Frank Smith, who was asked about the changes you might see in the offense going from one quarterback to another. Here's Coach Smith. Yeah, I think in, I mean, in training camp, I, I think you guys were able to witness. I mean, it's not like we had two different offenses functioning. I think Teddy has shown... Uh, great understanding of our the offense and uh, what we're trying to accomplish. I think um, his veteran leadership and his understanding of the role have been extremely helpful. Uh, we're really excited to continue on the growth of, of what he was able to do at the end of the game and ultimately uh, with what he does well. So I think, again, like as we've talked about for numerous weeks, the challenge for us as coaches is to uh, – tailor your offense to what players do well. And the good thing for Teddy is that, you know, we've had multiple months of him working inside the system, along with Tua and Skyler, that we have a really good feel to how we think he's going to execute and uh, do what we're trying to do this week. Next, how about some special teams and weather talk? Normally, I don't like talking weather because it means we're doing small talk, and there are about 45,000 things I'd rather do besides small talk. But when it comes to Coach Crossman and a place that's known for its gusts of wind and swirling winds, I wanted to ask him, how do you prepare for something like that when the kicking game is so pertinent to the weather and what you might get? Here's Coach Crossman. Well, you, you never really know, and it was interesting, you know, when you – you know, and you, you try not to track weather too early, but you know, uh, you, you, you do. You know, you get the, the information, and a week before it's 94 degrees and it's sunny, and all of a sudden you go up there and it's a, uh, it's 60 degrees with the temperature dropping with wind, and uh, but that's all part of it. You know, you try and have history, and you track different winds in certain stadiums, and you, you know, every coach has files based on sun, weather, wind, rain, whatever it may be in each particular stadium, and. Uh, uh, it, you know, you try and play, you, you got to play through it. You try and time some things up so you're maybe not catching the gusts. The gusts are always more important. If it's the steady wind, you can handle it. It's the gusts that always get you. It's kind of like golf, right? Like I remember this one time I was trying to stick a, you know, a par three and it's the, this course we play at back in my home state of Washington is, has this, this green that's like 1200 square feet of beauty or like the biggest green in North, in the Northwest. And it's dumb because it's impossible to putt on that green. I digress, but I hit this shot one time aiming for the left of this 1,200 square foot green and there was wind all day and it dies down and the thing sticks right where I wanted it to go, but the wind didn't push it, which would have been probably right next to the pin. So it's, I guess, kind of like that. Let's go ahead and finish up here with Coach Austin Clark. And another thing we've been discussing here on the podcast is pass rush and uh, how your defensive statistics can be skewed negatively when you face really good offenses because the way this game goes against these top offenses and top quarterbacks, it's difficult to have success in the statistics category against those guys. Here's Coach Austin Clark talking about rush lanes and how you have to change your pass rush plan for different quarterbacks. We've already seen three of the most elusive quarterbacks in Burrow, Jackson, and Allen. Here's Coach Clark talking about rush gap integrity. Yeah, rush lanes. I mean, I think it's – as you look at rushing the passer, how many are we bringing – uh, 
Where does a guy, uh, you know, look to escape? Uh, does he get rid of it quick? Is alerting three-step and batting down balls, is that a big part of it? All those things are factors to it, for sure, absolutely. I just really enjoy sharing those with you guys because this is a podcast that focuses on the nuances of the game and in a game where, you know, I use the word esoteric all the time. Like, you can't just show up and watch this game and understand what's going on. You have to, you know, put a little more time into it than that. And so I love playing those clips where you have this general perception about how certain things are, but when you hear from the coaches, you kind of learn that maybe you don't know as much as you think you do, and that certainly is the case for me here, uh, learning from these coaches week in and week out. You can find those entire availabilities up on YouTube, including Coach Tyrone McKenzie and John Embry as well. Let's go ahead and finish off this segment talking to you guys and your mailbag questions, and this was sort of a coincidence, but not really. At Stephen E. Harris asked me, I hope you're well, man, by the way. I haven't seen you since, I think, camp in 20, 20, uh, 2019, was it? twenty? I don't know. It was a long time ago. But he asks, any swing tips for me while I take the, on teeth of the dog in the Dominican Republic where the entire back nine has shots over the water and I want to keep my score in the double digits? Well, uh, you, you came to the right place, man. I shot uh, all 90s this summer when I kind of got back into golf a little bit, but I'm not the best golfer in the world. I'm actually pretty terrible at golf, but... Um, this is probably bad advice because you're probably better than I am, but you asked, so here we go. My philosophy on every single shot I take is to go for it because the chances are I'm not going to hit it right anyway, but on the off chance that I do, I want to make sure I maximize that swing. Never lay up, attack the pin, and distance matters. That's my golf advice for the day. Boom. Uh, next question here from at Octo84. He asks, in your opinion, what's missing in the running game? It has looked explosive at times and horrible at others. Most yards running in a game has been 85. What do we need to do to have a 100-plus yard rushing game? Well, I do think this is the game where it would be most beneficial to do that. We talked about the play-action passing element and sucking up those linebackers in the second level on the podcast yesterday. And Frank Smith touched on this and alluded to the fact that football is always multiple things. And he said this, uh, one, that every play is always multiple things away from you know from this or that happening and the number two it's a combination of things uh difficult to say exactly one thing that we can get fixed because if that was the case then you could just go fix it and be done with it but when there's different things popping up and you know football is not unlike the scene in Vegas vacation when Chevy Chase has to plug the holes in the dam and he has the gum and he just keeps plugging up one hole another one pops open kind of like that but I think a little more of that has to do with the situation like number one we just haven't had the ball a whole heck of a lot seven true possessions against the Patriots six true possessions against the uh, Buffalo Bills those are non-victory formations non-end of half situations similar deal in Baltimore especially when you're chasing 21 points the entire game but what I like is how they've ran the ball late in those games like Chase Edmonds had the big rip against Baltimore we were able to close the Patriots out with a running game some good rips in the Buffalo game there late I think it's coming it doesn't just happen like they have to earn it but I think we're scratching the surface on what this run game and this offense can be. And Mike McDaniel is one of the most creative run game designers there is. So I think given more time to gel that stuff, you know, three and Frank Smith talked about the first quarter of the season being lots of learning opportunities to be three and one coming out of that against that schedule, man, if they keep getting better, uh, that makes me pretty damn pumped up next here from at C Brooks. That's B R O O X X. Did I get that right? He asks, hey, Travis, being at the uh, being that the Jets coaches are from the same tree as McDaniel, do they run the same offensive playbook as the Dolphins? Great question. And for sure, there is some crossover and it's not just the Jets. I mean, the Mike Shanahan tree 
as it were, makes up like a quarter of the NFL at this point. And football in general has tons of crossover. Like it's just oftentimes the terminology is different. There was a great tweet from Brett Coleman. You guys know who he is by now, if you're fans of this podcast, uh, where he said like, you know, basically dog tired coaches in the sixties and seventies came up with all these different terminology for football. And we've just been kind of regurgitating those and changing them and doing different variations of them for the last 50 years. I thought that was pretty funny, but it's pretty accurate too. Now, all that said, every single coach is going to put their own flavor on things. Like we've seen Mike McDaniel go against some of the expectations or principles of what the Niners ran the last few years. I think he's doing an awesome job of maximizing the talent that he has at his disposal. And part of that is, well, if you have Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell, you're not going to run the ball 75% of the time. Cause why would you? And then on top of that, like the dolphins are one of the top five teams this year and passing the football and expected running downs. And there's no easier way to make life easier on your quarterback than doing that. And the Niners weren't that style of offense the last several years. So coach McDaniel putting his own flavor, his own twist on it. I do think the familiarity makes the matchup more interesting though. Like I always wonder how much, you know, if you have, for instance, Mike LaFleur, no, scratch that. Let's, let's use this. Let's use it this way. Josh Boyer knows that Mike LaFleur is the OC in New York, and he used to work in San Francisco as the OC. So he says, well, they have this stretch run right here. What if he goes to like Coach McDaniel and says, hey, what front can I run or what, uh, what call can I make that you wouldn't want to see? So like if you're calling the offense, what would frustrate you the most? To me, that's the beauty of football, this never-ending chess match. If they do this and I do that, are they going to react this way? And then how do I react to that reaction? And how do they react to the reaction to the reaction to the reaction to the reaction to the reaction? Right? Like, fun stuff. <laughs> Good stuff, guys. We'll have a written mailbag up on the website as well, so check that out. One more break, then we'll come back and get you ready for college football Saturday this week. Big game on the Palouse. It's actually in Southern California, but that's next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Let's go ahead and finish up segment number three here by taking a look at the college football weekend And how often do we get a chance to put Washington State fight, fight, fight for Washington State in the three-pack on back-to-back weeks? Well, there's a big test this week down in Southern California against number six, USC. This is probably the best Washington State team we've had since the Ryan Leaf years, maybe Jason Gesser. So I'm pretty fired up. That damn Oregon game, though, man. Yeah, whatever. Cameron Ward is a first-round talent all day. I sure hope he sticks around next season and potentially moves himself into QB1 contention for the 2024 class he's an outstanding player in fact Kyle Krabs texted me during the last game and said you didn't tell me you guys have a bigger Kyler Murray at quarterback I mean yeah that's how he's playing so far tons of fun to watch but so is our front seven it's so loaded they dominate the line of scrimmage week in and week out linebacker Dayon Henley leads the Pac-12 in tackles for loss and man he has a quick trigger super athletic arrives with force he's a future NFL player so is linebacker Francisco Moyoga defensive end Brennan Jackson. I really enjoy watching this team. They have a chance to make a run this year at the Pac-12. And then USC has the best wide receiver in the country in Jordan Addison, the 2021 Bolitnikoff winner out of Pittsburgh or transfer from Pittsburgh. The best matchup will be whoever Andrew Voorhees goes against. Their 325-pound guard could be a day-two pick next spring. How about number 17 TCU and the first ever, by like not even close before, appearance by number 19 Kansas. TCU has a wide receiver, Quentin Jefferson, who's six foot four and clocks at reportedly a 4 That's fun to watch. Cornerback Tra- uh, Travius Hodges Tomlinson, 
That's a mouthful. They always have a highly drafted defensive back. That'll be him this year. He could be a guy that cracks 4-2. They are flying down there at TCU. Center Steve Avila, 334-pounder who can fly off the football and get pushed in the running game. And then Kansas, looking forward to getting a better look at these guys because I just haven't watched a lot of Kansas football. Safety Kenny Logan Jr. is my guy. Finishing up with number 8 Tennessee and 25 LSU. Tennessee has Hendon Hooker playing out of his mind right now. Absolute stud. Offensive tackle Darnell Wright who can block out the sun type of offensive tackle at 335 pounds. And speaking of the beef, defensive lineman Elijah Simmons. He is a 5-1-40 guy at 340 pounds. That's, uh, that's crazy. I haven't watched LSU since that opening day loss to FSU, so looking forward to seeing them. They always have five stars at every position, but this year the defensive line's crazy. B.J. Ojolari, defensive tackle, uh, Jacqueline Roy, and then back on the defensive end, Ali Gay, and then receiver Kayshawn Booty. They have, those guys could all be first, second round picks next year. I just love watching teams that have position groups full of pros, like Georgia, Bama, LSU, Clemson, Ohio State. Clemson always has a loaded defensive line, but this LSU one might might be able to compete with them for best in the country. Before we get out of here, baseball picks, anybody? Probably not for most of you, but, you know, Cam Wolf of NFL Network stopped me in the hallway in the media wing today and asked me how I was feeling about my Mariners, and I don't know if I had considered this or definitely haven't reconciled it, and I admitted to him, you know what, man? I'm really just kind of happy to be there. (laughs) But winning would be very cool, too, so uh, let's see how wrong I can be in my baseball bracket picks here. In the National League, I'm going Padres over Mets and Cardinals over Phillies in the wild card round. In the next round, the divisional round, I'll take Dodgers over Padres, and I had to pick an upset because I took all chalk. Cardinals over Braves, I don't even know if I believe that myself, but we'll take it, and we'll take National League chalk as well for Dodgers all the way to the World Series. In the American League, the Mariners take out the Jays, of course. The Rays pick off the Guardians, then it's more chalk. Yankees over Guardians, Astros over Mariners, and then Astros over Dodgers as Jason Jenkins, Houston Astros get their second title in a short period of time. Either way, enjoy a great sports weekend. I mean, I got Mariners on Friday and Saturday. I got Cougs on Saturday, Dolphins and Jets on Sunday, and then potentially a game three there for the Mariners. Like this might be going into it. The most potential a sports weekend has had for me. I hope I come out on the other side with two wins and a series win. I'll be flying high on Monday. If that's the case, either way, We'll talk to you guys on Sunday night with the recap podcast. In the meantime, you all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank podcast with Seth and Juice. We also will be on WQAM the minute the clock hits triple zeros every single Sunday for your Miami Dolphins postgame show. Two hours breaking down the game. You can also check out our Twitter Spaces show Wednesdays at 8 o'clock. And of course, all of our international podcasts on the Miami Dolphins podcast network. Bang that YouTube channel for media availabilities as well as Dolphins today. Just go ahead and obliterate it, smash it, hit it, whatever it takes. And then finally, last but not least, check out MiamiDolphins.com for written content, videos, photos, and a whole bunch more. Until next time, fins up, Caroline, Daddy's coming home.